0: So this evening, can everybody hear me? Is it fine in the back? Should I speak a little louder? Okay. So this evening, I would like to look a little um, at meditation and mindfulness. And often they're equated. And I think in a way we could say mindfulness could be the effect of meditation, or, I mean, we could look at it in different way. But to simplify, I look at it like that today. So first, I like to look at uh, mindfulness, awareness, and to look a little at what kind of awareness, what kind of mindfulness we are talking about. What is it we're trying to cultivate? Because, I mean, you could be very mindful, extremely mindful, killing somebody. And personally, I would not say this is a mindfulness we cultivate here. Because uh, nowadays, mindfulness is uh, taught to the soldier in America. And at one level, it might make them feel better, but (laughs) at another level... (laughs) You know, are they going to kill more mindfully or is it going to help them not to kill but then maybe their work is not going to be satisfactory? So, uh, so in a way, looking a little at uh, what kind of mindfulness. And personally, I would say, first, the thing about this mindfulness is that, in a way, it's caring and it's careful. So that... It's caring insofar that it's not just that the mindfulness is going to help us to stare blankly at reality. That actually often I have this idea that, you know, if you're mindful enough, you won't react to anything. You're not going to feel any pain. You're going to be fine. But I'm not sure that mindfulness is about becoming a robot. I don't think this is an idea. So I would say there is this element in mindfulness in a way of caring. And in caring, I mean to to bring a certain attention, but it's kind of like you could say a warm attention, a warm, interested attention. Where in a way, when you're trying to be mindful, You're not trying to judge yourself. Because often I feel we have these patterns, what I would call a a slight painful habit to judge. And judging is very important. Judging is a function of the organism. I need to discriminate. This is a microphone, this is a bell. Uh, Unless something major happens, I don't think the bell is going to record this talk. But through the microphone, we might be able to. So we need to judge. But from this judging, we can actually be, can nearly, could say, painfully or negatively habituated. And then you start to judge everything. You know, like if you are in the street, "Mm, I like this, I don't like that. Or, you know, you might have arrived here and decided, "Mm, I like that person, I don't like that one, or whatever, very quickly. We kind of judge very quickly. And often, we nearly get the feeling that this mindfulness and this introspection is about becoming even more judging. And actually, that's really not the idea. I think it's very important to be careful of that, that when you leave the retreat... It's not like you're going to have two policewomen or two policemen on your shoulder ready to jump on you if you're not a good Buddhist or a good meditator or a good, mindful person. I remember when we used to live in a Buddhist community. This is one of the things we, we used to mindfulness to accuse each other. You are not mindful. You did not wash the cups. You know, you're not compassionate. You did not smile at me. So you kind of use it to kind of accuse the other. You know, there is a certain benchmark, and then if you don't get it, you know, there is a problem. But I think it's, it seems to me more healthy to see more mindfulness as how we approach something. And so part of the approaching something, approaching listening to sound, approaching being aware of the breath, approaching meeting somebody, approaching doing some task, and bringing to that some element, I would say, of heart, of caring, of concern. And at the same time, carefulness. The fact that, in a way, when we become more mindful, At one level, we become a little more careful. At one level, we might be less impulsive because we think, well, if I do this, you know, if I walk too close to the cliff and I uh, drop down, you know, might not be such a good idea. So I can still approach, but am I not kind of like thinking, oh, you know, nothing is going to happen. So it doesn't mean that you become timid I think there is a difference between being careful and being timid. Timid is like, you know, you act out of fear. And with carefulness, you act out of knowing danger. That, you know, sometimes there is danger. The same as, you know, of course you can uh, pass the red traffic light, but it generally is not a good idea. You know, they generally it's there for a purpose. So you are careful and you stop. So in a way, it's the same. It's kind of showing us, oh, that's a limit. Be careful. And I think within that carefulness is actually seeing, you know, what are the conditions in a way that helps me to be more wise and compassionate. What are the conditions that do not? And so in a way, to see, to be careful there so that there is this element of being more careful, but not in a timid way. But what I would call careful, actually, in a wise way. And there is this um, true example in the sutta, in the Pali sutta, of mindfulness, sati being like a charioteer, helping us to be a little above, a little kind of looking from a little of a higher place. So actually we can be careful because we see more, possibly of the danger, the obstacle, instead of being kind of, a kind of a very small kind of vision. And also the charioteer is not going to go full speed. Generally the charioteer will go to the speed, which will work for the bullocks, for the cart and everything. So, again, that carefulness. Another one is like a gatekeeper. The gatekeeper is there to kind of be careful who enters the city, but also to deliver a message efficiently. So just to be there, guarding, but not kind of guarding everything because then nothing can work, but just being careful. Like all the soldiers who are supposed to get involved with the Olympics. This is a big thing in England at the moment. All these gatekeepers, they're going to have fun. But another aspect of the mindfulness is to me this kind of like spaciousness. That I think often we see mindfulness as just being very directed, you know, and kind of like very, kind of a little, possibly a little narrow. I must be focused on this, or I must be focused on that. But personally, I think the mindfulness, in a way, is within a kind of a wide context. And I think it's to help us to see in a more wide way, in a more open way. And that's where they have this image of it's like being up a tower, that again, instead of kind of being like in a tunnel and we don't see much, it's like by cultivating the mindfulness, we see more of it. And that's what I find interesting when we do the meditation. And yes, I mean, I recommend it today to do the listening meditation. And I presume at time you were listening to the various sounds that happened. And at that time, you might have been somewhere else. But that somewhere else, either some sensation, some emotion, or some thought, is actually a very small place. You know, either a kind of a pain in the knee? You might have been, ah, this pain in the knee, and then everything reduces itself to the pain in the knee or to some funny feeling you have in the stomach, or to some thought, one oh, know, five years ago, or to your ends, or... Who knows? And when you are, notice that when you are caught in something, a sensation, a feeling, a thought, a story, actually you're not here. And you are really in a small place, I would say. You're really caught in the story. They said this, they did this, I did this, they did that. And it's kind of like the thing goes tw- And there is only that you look at. And when you come back to the listening, for example, when you come back to the sound of the bird or the sound of the plane or the sound of a mower or thing of that nature, you don't just come back to the sound of the bird because the sound of the bird exists within a big environment. All of us sitting here, Your posture, your thought, other people, what's happening around here. So, in a way, when you come back to the sound, to listening, to mindfulness, you come back to the whole thing. And so, that's why I think mindfulness is interesting because it kind of like, kind of shows us how we kind of get a little stuck. And through the mindfulness, we kind of like open the vista. And I think that's why the example is that to be up a tower. So it's kind of like you climb from these small pieces, this story, that sensation, that memory, to, ah, what's happening right now? What's going on right now? And of course, the story, the sensation are part of right now. But if they're part of right now within a big context, there is much more possibility of movement. But if you are in this, it's always like this, it will never change, I am stuck, they're stuck. Generally, it kind of gets more stuck than less. And I think that's why with the mindfulness, there is also to see when I am mindful, Does it seems to bring this kind of slight feeling effect of uh, spaciousness. Or do I feel I go into this kind of like tunnel vision? So, so that to me is kind of like a sign of this caring, careful, spacious mindfulness. And there is another, another two examples which are interesting. And this is of the doctor. That like mind, uh, the mindfulness is a bit akin to like a doctor is uh, confronted by a wound, and he tried to find out what is a wound. That's what happened to me uh, recently. Recently, I, we came back from uh, teaching somewhere and our cat looked a bit funny. Looked a really a bit funny, not very friendly, you know, less enthusiastic than generally. And I thought, who mm-hmm. knows? And after three days, I thought, something is wrong with that cat. So I told to all the cat, and I felt there was something. You know, there was something funny, something. So I take the cat and I just, what I feel is just this little kind of, kind of something funny, a little big something funny. And I take her to the vet and I leave it with her. She give her something to sleep. And then she tells me, oh, she actually had this big wound which got infected and then you had this huge pass. I mean, I had the feeling that whole afternoon dukkha in action because uh, it was i won 't describe it all but it was uh, fairly kind of tough, but she did what she had to do and by the next day the cat was fine. I was just surprised you know human beings need a lot to recover, but cats <laughs> they're really amazing but In a way, it was the same. She had to kind of like probe. She had to look. She had to kind of see what is really going on. It felt like it's this, but actually it was something else. And so with the doctor, there is this idea of probing, of delineating, of seeing what is going on here. And another example is of the plowman. That is like a plowman plowing the field. And first, one thing about the plowman is that he must kind of uh, have the right direction. If the plowman go like this, this is not really going to work. So he has to kind of, you know, find a certain balance, a certain right direction. Also, he has to have balance. This is interesting. Because if he push the goal too much, then he's going to get stuck. If it's too high, nothing is going to happen. And to me, this is part of the mindfulness this idea of balance, this idea that it's not kind of going into extreme, but it's kind of like balance, finding a balance, finding an equilibrium, finding kind of this. So it's not stuck that we, like that. So we're not trying to find a specific meditative state or a specific mindful state, but that actually the mindfulness helps us to have more of this balance. And the last thing about the plowman is that actually as he digs the soil, he can reveal things. And so that idea of probing and revealing something. So actually the mindfulness we are trying to develop is really not about just staring at things. But But actually more, this kind of quality of the way we approach things, the way we kind of try to look at things, this caring, careful, spacious, probing, balanced, revealing. And in a way, in order to have this kind of like, what this rich mindfulness, how does it happen? I mean, we're all conscious. We all have consciousness. So, in a way, mindfulness comes from being able to be conscious, comes from being able to pay attention, comes from being able to discriminate. But how can we develop it so that it becomes, it kind of, we start to develop all these different qualities so that it really can become this rich creative mindfulness, creative awareness. And personally, I feel one way, I mean, there are many different ways, but one way is through the meditation practice. But first, we have to be careful not just through the sitting practice. I think basically through the four postures of standing, sitting, walking, and lying down. And I think, in a way, it's easier to all sit here together and easier to all walk outside. Because, I mean, if we all were to um, lie here, for 45 minutes, unfortunately, there might be a lot of snoring. You know, this is a little problem. With... And standing, not everybody can stand for a long period of time. So that's why we generally choose sitting and walking as the main postures. But I think it's very important to see we can also meditate lying down or standing. But as we sit, walk, stand, lie down, what are we trying to do? because often I feel we cannot go too quickly into the the specific technique of the meditation. I do breath meditation. I do loving-kindness meditation. I do uh, open-awareness meditation. I do noting meditation. I mean, there are many different ways to meditate. And I remember when I was in Korea, where we just do questioning, which I'm going to introduce at some point, People would come from Thailand, you know, and they would tell me, oh, we note. And I would say, note? Note what? And then they would ask me, but what do you do? You note? I said, no, 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 I question. (laughs) You question? But you question what? (laughs) So it was like, you know, like, I mean, it looked like we were doing very different things. Because, I mean, the Korean technique is just to question, what is this? So I really not to note anything. <laughs> Just to what is this? What is it? So you don't affirm anything. And then in the noting technique, you have to be like, you know, alert to everything that's going on. It's a very different technique. And so in a way, if we go too quickly, I would say to the technique, then we forget in a way what I would call the origin, the basis. What what do we do when we meditate before the specific technique we're told to do? What we do is generally we try to cultivate together samatha and vipassana, concentration and inquiry. But then we have to be careful because samatha can mean concentration, but samatha can also mean calm. Vipassana can mean looking deeply, But vipassana can mean also insight. And so when you do insight meditation, then you generally expect to have insight. So, you know, sit there. You know? (laughs) Where is this insight? This is insight meditation. And maybe it would be better to call it looking deeply meditation, experiential inquiry meditation. And so personally I feel that we can develop mindfulness from many different ways. But in terms of the meditation, we develop it through cultivating together the concentration and the inquiry. Because both actually are helping us to cultivate what I talked about before. I would say concentration helps us to develop the spaciousness. And looking deeply as as to develop the probing quality. And together, they complement each other. And then, we can really cultivate, practice, develop, manifest, what I would call sati, mindfulness, creative awareness. So let's look how we can do that. So you have... Samatha, which is written S-A-M-A-T-H-A, and basically it's concentration. But I feel we have to be careful there. We use the word concentration a lot, otherwise we might use the word focusing. Nowadays, I'm starting to prefer to use the word anchoring because it seems to me as soon as we say concentrate, it's nearly immediate, we tense. And sometimes as you sit in meditation, you might find yourself actually physically tensing so that you concentrate better. And notice, sometimes you might find your jaw, kind of like, you know, if my jaw are tight, I will meditate better. I mean, you don't think that, but it seems that the body, we, we do it, bodily. Sometimes I find myself like, hmm, and then I have to relax. And so in a way to see that with concentration, generally we have this idea we must gather, narrow, and go for it. And generally there is this tension we bring to concentration. But personally I feel when we do this concentration, it's better to think more of anchoring. We're anchoring in the breath. We don't try to grasp the breath, we don't try to catch the breath, or we don't try to narrow and catch the sound. But we think of it more as anchoring, as using it as a point of reference. The breath is not better than the sound, or the body, or whatever else we'll bring during the week. But it's just a way to anchor into the experience. And generally, if it's something which is experiential, then it keeps us in the experience instead of going a little possibly into metaphysics. So we can anchor in the breath, anchor in the sound. But we can see through the week that actually anchoring in the breath is a little different from anchoring in the sound. And I think that's why these different tools of awareness can, in a way, cultivate different aspects of this mindfulness. With the breath, I think it's most, there will be this calm, this stability, which generally comes with anchoring in the breath, unless you are asthmatic and then it's better to do something else. Or with the sound, if you anchor in the sound, it's very different. The breath, it's more kind of a, a little more narrow, a little more in the body in a certain way. The sound, generally, you open to the sound of the world. So then the the anchoring will be more open, will be more spacious. With the breath, it might be more stable. Sometimes people think, the the sound, I can't do it, too confusing. And then sometimes people say, ah, the breath, I can't do it, too tensing. So it's also finding what works for one, what is more adapted, what suits better. But I think they just have a little different effect. But the concentration... So this anchoring in the thing, why? Just very much like an anchor of a boat. The anchor of the boat is not going to keep the boat totally still. Then you have to attach it with rope to the key. But if you anchor the boat in the sea, it's so that it doesn't go too far from where you want to be. So you just go around a little, but you're still around the same place. You don't go too far away, you about the same place. And it's the same. When we sit in meditation, it's not that we're trying to just be with the breath or just be with the sound, but because we are alive, we'll think, we feel, we sense. And so we'll have thought, feeling, sensation. This is not something we're trying to stop. But the anchoring will make it that we're not going to go too far, <coughs> so we're going to come back. And actually I think this is one of the powerful effects of the anchoring of the concentration. It's just that act, mental act, being act, of coming back. And each time, and that's why I think it's very important to see how we come back. Not to spend hour analyzing how do I come back. But not to come back because it's terrible to have a thought not to come back because it's terrible to have feelings, sensation, or whatever it is, but to come back because we remember. That's another aspect of sati, to remember. To remember our intention, to remember we want to anchor, we want to be mindful. And so what we do at that moment is we make a choice. It doesn't have to be I am the greatest meditator in the world and I am going to return or else. But it's just a gentle, hmm, I've been spacing out for the last 10 minutes, maybe I could come back now. (laughs) You know, this is why I came for. So it's kind of like, in a way, making the choice. And I think this is a very important thing. Because in a way... Often we are so habituated that we feel we don't have a choice. I cannot stop this. I cannot act any other way. Recently, I had this really weird thing happen to me. It was very strange, which doesn't happen often. Somebody shouted at me. Um, Anyway, but it was interesting, you know, why the person did it. And I mean, yeah, one could say I made a cultural mistake, but to shout as much as that for what I did. I did not think it was kind of, you know. But anyway, the person did it. Why did the person do it? Very likely because at that moment they could not not do it because they must have ruminated over it for a bit. So I apologize and we let it go at that. But to me, this is interesting, this thing to, you don't intend to do something and suddenly you do it. You know, it's like you seem to have no choice in doing it. Even if it may not be such a good idea for you or such a good idea for the other person, it's kind of like, I can't stop to do this. And to me, this is very interesting, this coming back to the anchor, this in a way making this gentle choice. Right now, I am going to come back. Not as fighting something, But in a way, as preferring to do something else. And that, I think, gives us more space. And to me, this is where the spaciousness comes from. Because often we are kind of like caught in the habituation and lost in it. And in a way, with the mindfulness, is okay, I'm thinking this, but very likely you've thought it before, very likely you thought it, you know, a hundred times before. And possibly you don't need right now, right this second, to think it 101 time more. I mean, you might in 10 minutes, but right now, possibly not. And so you come back. You see, each time you come back, you do two things. You don't feed the habit, and you dissolve its power. And then it can come back to its function of imagining, of judging, of whatever reflecting, whatever. So in a way, I think to see that the point of the concentration is not to hold onto the sound or the breath for dear life, but actually to make that choice, to come back again and again, to come back, to accept we go away, and to have a little of the energy to come back, to come back. And then the more we come back, then the less power the habits have, and then the more space there will be. Because, you see, the more we think about something, the more occupied we get, and then generally it proliferates. When if you bring it back to its function, then when you need to think, you do it. If when you don't need to, you don't. So in a way, that's, I think, what the concentration is there for. To actually, so that it brings more calm, But specifically, it brings more spaciousness. And the point about that is a connection with creativity. That if you have more space, it's not going to be just empty space, actually. If you have something which is removed, which is dissolved, then something else can (sighs) come up. Then there can be more creativity instead of repeating the same thing we can more respond creatively to what is going on right now. Not what happened yesterday, not what might happen in the future, but what now? What is it I can really do right now? And how can I creatively engage? And so I think this is possible through, in a way, the developing of that spaciousness, through just that simple fact of coming back again and again. This is not to say that there is not a concentration in some uh, practice of uh, Buddhism where you have to go for what I call exclusive concentration. And that, yes, can lead you to absorption state. But to me, I don't feel that absorption state or deep meditative state are very useful in daily life. I don't think you can speak to your children in it. I don't think you can cook dinner in it. So personally, I think it's more kind of like what I would call professionals. <laughs> you know, if professionals want to go into it, I have no problem, and I think, you know, why not? <clears throat> Seemingly, they're very pleasant. But in terms of dealing with daily life, to me, what is very important is that moment of coming back. Just seeing where we were and coming back. Ah, seeing where we are and coming back. So to see that not only do we have the choice to come back, but we get a little information. Hmm, that's where I was. Okay, I come back from that one. Mm, that's where I went. Okay, I come back from that one. And then we start to see more clearly what we are thinking, what we are feeling, etc., etc. And this brings me actually to the second aspect of the meditation, which is as important as a concentration, which is vipassana looking deeply, experiential inquiry. And in practical terms, it's very simple. It's just being aware. I mean, I think to me the one way to make it more experiential generally is to concentrate on change. I mean, you can concentrate on unreliability, you can concentrate on conditionality, but then I think that can get a little kind of... intellectual, conceptual and complicated but I think what can really helps us in daily life is being aware of change but not as an idea being aware of change as an experience that if we have a thought however heavy we know at some point it will change if we have a feeling I had kind of you know When that person shouted at me, I felt, oh, didn't feel so pleasant. And I knew, but I mean, I did not get too excited about it. And I thought, okay, you know, I did this. The person is upset. I apologize, you know. C'est la vie, you know, it's life. (laughs) But of course, it leaves you with a little unpleasant feeling too. And it becomes interesting. To see how long is a feeling tone going to last. This is interesting. I'm always interested in this feeling tone. We'll talk more about it toward the end of the week because it's a bit tricky to be aware of the feeling tone. But to me, the feeling tone is so important, especially the unpleasant feeling tone because you can see, poor, it can make us do a lot of things which are very painful to ourselves and others. So, the looking deeply is actually more about being in the experience and just experiencing it, ah, it changed. The sound changed, the sensation changed, the feeling changed, the thought changed. Just that, just to be aware of it. And to see at the same time our, the quick reaction we have to think. That often we something happens, this is always going to be like that. I have this pain in the knee, I will have it the whole week. I have this terrible thought, I will have it all week. Or when we came, I mean, it had been so wet in England. And Stephen was starting to think, oh, ah, yeah, 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 you know, we have all these people and they're going to be so wet and they can't be outside and, you know, oh it's going to be a terrible retreat and so far, so good. So, you know, it's kind of we easily, we can so easily go into this is happening now and it's going to be like that all the time. You know, I mean, this is, I think, part of our organism. But if it become too habituated It really actually fixes things. This is a bit of the problem with this. It's always like that. It will never change. And, you know, if it's like this now and the next day and, you know, and then you forecast. This is a a little, I mean, if we thought, all this is going to last a little bit, fine. But if we do this negative forecasting, I mean, I was talking to a friend recently and I could see that actually with the negative forecasting, she was going to engage in an action now because of something way down the line, which I thought was going to create much more problem now, which actually way down the line, you know, forget about it. You know, and possibly I convinced her it was not a good idea. (laughs) I hope so. But this is the, the problem. You know, like you go into this negative forecasting and you really frighten yourself which then is going to make you very impulsive to do something now, so that doesn't happen. When it has not happened, might not happen, who knows. And so in a way, the thing is the probing quality of the mindfulness comes from that, from instead of going, it will always be like this, to, oh, how long is it going to be like this? If it lasts a little while, is it changing within itself or not? And so instead of kind of like jumping, it's kind of like penetrating. Instead of going ahead of ourselves, it's like, okay, what is happening now? How is it? And so to me, this looking deeply, on the level of when we're sitting in meditation, generally not much happens. You notice the sound arise and pass away. You know, okay. So pass away, okay, you know. But actually it accumulates. I think we have to really see that this accumulates. You get really more and more used to see oh yes. It changes. Oh yes, things change. Oh yes. And then when you are in daily life, it starts to really make a difference. That instead of jumping ahead and really frightening yourself or others, it's like okay. How long is it going to last? Because if it doesn't last very long, you generally don't need to do anything. And if it lasts long, then you can, okay, now this has lasted a certain time, what can I do about it? How can I creatively engage with it? And so this is what this uh, vipassana, this broad-being quality, I think helps us actually to, you have the space, provided by the concentration. But I feel it gives more energy. I think this probing quality is using an energy we have to inquire, to look deeply, to question, to go in the experience. And that actually is what I think comes, becomes creative. So I think the mindfulness we're developing is not, again, this staring at reality, but it's really kind of developing over time what I would call a creative awareness, a creative mindfulness, which will help us not to go so easily into automatic, but to go more, okay, what's happening right now? How can I be with this situation right now? And so... And the idea, in a way, is that when you do this meditation retreat, I feel you are actually developing the muscle of this creative awareness. It's kind of like you are like mindfulness gym, you could say. And just you, so you get more and more muscle, more and more power to this creative awareness. And then you can bring it into daily life. But I think what we could also do already here, is bringing it in two places. One is a work. Each of you uh, is doing a little job every day, and thank you for doing that. Let it be ringing the bell, cleaning the bathroom, or uh, cutting the vegetables. And what is interesting is, how do you engage with the work period? Are you all kind of tense? How should I do this? And how much should I do? And... Are you kind of you know too laid back, too slow? Are you too fast? Or are you kind of expectation you have, or what you think people expect of you, or whatever? And in a way, to to kind of look, what is it that is going to help me to do this hour or forty minutes of work? Can I, in a way, when I start it, can I try to be aware of my body? Can I just try to be aware of what's going on? Either I do it on automatic and space out, or I am worried about it and I go into the worry, or do I just do it? This was my great revelation. When I stopped being a nun and I came back and lived in England, and the only job I could get was house cleaner. And really, house cleaning was not, at the time, my dream job. I... uh, From young age, house cleaning had not been my forte. But then I thought there is nothing else I can do. I need to earn money, you know. So I thought, okay, I'll do it. And actually what made a big difference was actually all the practice I did and all the mindfulness I did. Because once I went to uh, the idea I had about how good or bad I was at this and I decided to just do it. Then I was just aware of doing it. And then the mindfulness was really good, to be aware of my body as I do it, did it, and just you know to be present to the doing of it. And actually I was very happy doing my house cleaning, more happy than I thought I would be. It was very interesting, just the fact that, of just being aware of it. So not being in the idea of it, or the idea other people might have of it, or whatever, can get complicated. But if I just do it with a caring, careful attitude with a certain spacious attitude, a certain balance, a certain probing quality to doing it. I actually had quite a few insights doing my house cleaning job. You know, and I'm very happy I did it and I really appreciate people doing that work now. And another thing you can look at is in terms that we are in a beautiful place and so far so good the weather is fine. And to see, you go walking in nature, which I really encourage you to do. That's why we give you like free time. uh, So that you can either rest if you need to rest or you can go for a walk without getting lost of course. And when you walk, what do you do? This is interesting. You know we go for a walk in nature. It's beautiful. And what do we think about our mortgages, or about work, or about family, or about holiday? And we really often not here. When actually, you know, you might live in a town, and this is the first time in a long time you're really in nature. And it's interesting that moment where I am, you know, going along, yes, yes, you know, then you're totally somewhere else, and then you come back. Okay, I am here. You come back to yourself and everything around you. And at that moment, it's magic, often, because everything kind of seems to shimmer. The blue is bluer, the white is whiter. And you think mindfulness, it's magic. It's not magic, it's just full attention. If you bring a caring, careful, spacious, probing attention, then you more here. Then you see more what is around you. Instead of being preoccupied, fearful, or anxious, or dreaming about this. At, I'm not saying you shouldn't be fearful, anxious, or dreaming about this or that. But we do it so much of the time. We could enjoy being here, in a way. And trying to see that, not judging it again, but trying to see the contrast. How does it feel when we are somewhere else, how does it feel when we aware with that kind of caring, careful, probing, spacious, mindfulness? And so it, it, we cannot, I think it's very important to see we cannot be all the time. I'm not talking about being 100% in this kind of mindfulness. But what is interesting is to see the degree that we can be in it. Sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less, sometimes none at all. And to see that actually it can shift, and it can shift so quickly. And I think that's something you could possibly explore during the week while you're here. And that's what I wanted to say today. We have just a few minutes for uh, if you have any questions or comments.